We are building a lot of wind and solar in America. Thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, new renewable power capacity is expected to triple each year through 2030. But if those renewables are going to meaningfully decarbonize the grid, we cannot waste those clean electrons. So storage needs to play a central role. We are making sure that as we have wind and solar online 24-7, we can make sure those gaps that are met today with fossil fuel when we don't have wind and solar can be actually met with clean power 24-7. And so that's what we're really trying to show is this, this whole flexibility of the system that everyone's asking for, long-duration energy stores can provide. Unfortunately, long-duration energy storage, or LDES, it doesn't exist at scale today. Julia Souter is trying to change that. She's the head of the LDES Council. In March, the Department of Energy announced it as one of the partners who will help develop and deploy long-duration energy storage, technologies that can store energy for 12 hours, a full day, or even weeks at a time. And so what we were talking about is how to get the utilities, researchers, customers, the whole ecosystem to get together to work on implementing LDES policies to get the market open and to really scale up because we need eight terawatts by 2040 of long-duration storage, and we need to start building this now. The DOE and its partners hope to deploy one gigawatt within the next year. But to meet the 2040 goal, the U.S. will need to deploy 500 gigawatts annually for the remaining 16 years. Scaling the technology will be tough, but Julia is optimistic. She doesn't see how the energy transition can happen without LDES. If we don't get this right, we're in trouble. Like We have to have LDES as part of the solution. We all talk about wind and solar, which is fantastic, and hydropower and geothermal. We need to start talking more about LDES. We need to talk about long-duration energy storage because without long-duration energy storage, we cannot meet our goals. We cannot make this work. And so we are a key part of the solution, and that's what we're trying to really bring to the realization of decision-makers, customers, our friends and family around the world. This is With Great Power, a show about the people building the future grid today. I'm Brad Langley. Some people say utilities are slow to change, they don't innovate fast enough. And while it might not always seem like the most cutting-edge industry, there are lots of really smart people working really hard to make the grid cleaner, more reliable, and customer-centric. This week, I'm talking with Julia Souter, CEO of the Long Duration Energy Storage Council. The council is a nonprofit made up of energy providers, technology companies, and investors. Their goal is to accelerate decarbonization through long-duration storage, which they pursue by providing research and education on how to develop a marketplace for it. So throughout my career, I've really, one, enjoyed the people that I've worked with and kind of the passion for making a difference and really kind of being curious and innovative but also, you know, working on policies to make the changes to get the marketplace up and running. So I feel like this is a great opportunity to, to where I landed today. This isn't Julia's first go-around with getting energy infrastructure deployed. She worked on developing transmission in the mid-2000s, a notoriously tough job. And she's also helped utilities in the West plan for renewables. So I started my conversation with Julia about her past work experience and how it led to working on long-duration storage. So you've been you know, doing this now for about 20 years throughout your career. Uh, what was your first job out of school? Right out of school, I actually was able, because I wanted, I had an international degree, I moved to Costa Rica as a journalist. Wow. Um, but realized that was not for me and wanted to go back into policy. <laughs> so, um, but then got into, you know, the master's program and found out about the 
presidential management internship, what was it called at the time? Now it's presidential management fellowship. And that really was a launching pad and, and took me to Department of Energy, where I really started enjoying my work of learning about the grid planning, grid operations, the nexus of solar. And then I was there during the Freedom Fuel Initiative. So got to work on hydrogen then and um, really kind of see the, the transition, the importance of planning. When the 2003 blackout occurred, I was really curious about what happened. You know, $11 billion lost in a couple of days, two Canadian provinces, 11 states affected. I, it was just mind-blowing to me, and I was very curious. So I asked to join the, the team to do the investigation. And I think then I just got hooked into the energy system and realized how much I was taking for granted and how much more I wanted to learn. So stayed at Department of Energy, did a quick tour at United States Trade Representatives because still wanted to learn more about international policy, but came back to DOE because there was just so much I saw, the interconnective tissue of how energy is such a core component of our economy and our daily lives. So I got excited about the Energy Policy Act of 2005 and, um, you know, I have scars to prove it from the, <laughs> the various discussions and work, but it really kind of, again, launched me into the grid operations and planning. So, so in your 20 years, I'm, I'm curious, how have you seen the industry and the environment surrounding it change over that time? You know, at the beginning, it was always the joke like, oh, you know, what is what is your role? Why are you in transmission? What is transmission? Is that a piece of a car um, versus really understanding the, the grid? And I think just in the last few years, it's completely catapulted into a new world. I think everyone is very excited to see the momentum behind energy, environment discussions, this just kind of new awareness that has connected all of us to the important role we play. And it's really exciting because for so many years, it was hard to explain what I do. And now I think it's become much more easier that, you know, this is a new path we're on. And it's really part of, you know, finding the solutions to help us meet our, our net zero targets. In addition to technology and engineering, when we talk about decarb and the need to do it as soon as possible, you know, policy and investment, you know, tend to come up as being the two primary levers. You know, what have you learned about those two levers and what do we need to do to speed up grid decarb? Policy innovation, policy regulation, you know, we really need to have, you really need to build people's trust, I think is number one, to really kind of get them to understand like this is this is part of your portfolio. This is part of something you want. And then I think it's a discussion of control. You know, what are the trade-offs that are involved? So as we start looking at what we're moving towards, you know, what are the, we want to push for our environment, we want to push for conservation, we want to push for LDES, we want to push for renewable energy. You know, how do you look at this portfolio with the support of, you know, different perspectives? So one, I think it's 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 really sharing the information and data about how to 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 build the support so that you can make the changes necessary to push the policy to really accelerate this forward. And I think that's one of the biggest hurdles for renewable energy and LDES in general is that we have so much to do. We are changing the entire economy. We're changing our world of how we really make things work. And this is this is huge and it's scary and it's intimidating, but it's also exhilarating. And, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity, but we really have to have these coalitions to make this work. So to what extent do you see the private sector filling in where policy, you know, might fall short or there's gaps in the policy work where the private sector might need to fill in? I think the private sector has a huge role to play here. And I think what we're seeing is the success of many public-private partnerships is de-risking this transition. And the more that we really incentivize the private sector to step into the role of doing, taking a little bit more risk, implementing, building these products, scaling up, making the investments, um, this is going to be a huge success. But again, it's building that trust and getting the support. The government can did a lot of great work with the pass of the Inflation Reduction Act 
you know, setting this the 30% standalone tax credit for storage, you know, doing, you know, putting a lot of funding in the loan guarantee programs, you know, giving a lot of different incentives. That's fantastic. And now the private sector is, you know, taking that certainty and now adapting it to really kind of push forward, you know, on these diverse technologies and really building the marketplace. Now we need the regulators and other decision makers to continue to support this. Um, so that we have, you know, the acceleration we need. Do you see it as like an equal amount of involvement between the public and private, or is it not as cut and dry as that? I think it depends on which category you're looking at. So we, you know, we need a lot of, you know, public involvement for policies to really give you that that certainty in the marketplace so then the investors can come in and the traditional banks, insurance companies can all kind of have that foundation to walk from. I, you know, we've been seeing numbers, if we you know, we need trillions and trillions of dollars to make this new economy work. And we need a lot of that to be private funding. And so really to have that, again, partnership and stepping up to fund the initiatives, to have the support for the innovative technologies and to continue to push forward on, you know, these gigawatt factories that we're building. And, you know, again, we're, these are new jobs that are, you know, transitioning. We we need three times the amount of, of workers that we have now to really work in the clean energy industry. So, this is a big push, and LDES is a huge component of this. We there are many of our members that are you know setting up factories in the United States and other parts of the world to really you know make sure that they're getting these benefits, uh, you know using these incentives and really kind of you know again meeting the mark to make this work. What amount of work needs to do to make public understanding greater, and what kinds of things are you doing uh, in that area? When we talk about batteries, you really want to expand the conversation about batteries and storage. Um, lithium ion is important. Storage duration is really important. And this is just the first stepping stone. We're really trying to help the, you know, the masses, the, uh, the public, you know, our friends and family really understand that LDES is, it will be a common term. Like hashtag LDES needs to be right there with it, with all these other comments, because it is a key part of the transition. And so we're really working hard on providing education awareness of what LDES is why there's all these other elements in the periodic table that are environmentally friendly that we're bringing you know, to the storage conversation, um, that we've been using heat rocks, volcanic rocks, cement for a long time, aluminum, and now we're using it in new ways to really get the efficiency. So it's really just you know, continuing the conversation and just bringing in the important role of LDES. We, we've started another partnership. Um, we, we really believe in, in effective and efficient networking and relationship building, sharing information to help speed up, again, the policy changes and create these markets, again, to scale up. And so we're working with the Global Renewables Alliance. This is another way to reach so many different groups and partners. So it's the first time ever, you you know, this is a brand new organization, the Global Renewables Alliance, that brings together the six clean energy industries. So you've got global wind, global solar, global hydropower, global green hydrogen, global geothermal, and global long-duration energy storage. So the six of us are working together um, to really expand the narrative and really demonstrate, again, the value out of long-duration energy storage because you really have to have LDES to make all this work. What are some of the standout technologies you see as ending up in the mix? Well, we have no favorite kids. Um, they, we love all of our <laughs> members. Um, but it, it's it's just really thrilling to see within the four families of long-duration energy storage, you know, just the diversity of the different flow battery technologies with electrochemical, with the different heat temperatures, whether it's you know, three types of thermal energy storage, and the heat ranges from you know, 50 degrees Celsius to 2,000 degrees Celsius. So just the diversity of what's available. And so many of our companies are working on circular economy and recyclability and really just showing the sustainability efforts. Like this is just in their, in their DNA. And so 
this isn't something that's just a theme or talking point. You're seeing this across the board. Um, you know, the innovations uh, in pumped hydro have come a long way, and it's really exciting to see whether above ground, but below ground. Just uh, you know, again, the kind of building on existing things that have worked for a long time and just you know making them better to meet the decarbonization goals. And I mentioned green hydrogen. You know, there's been a lot of work there, and just continue this this partnership of how LDES storage can be viewed in so many different ways. So it's you know, the most important thing these next couple of years is to really allow for this diversity because LDES can replace gas plants. LDES can re- replace diesel backup generators. LDES can, you know, provide heat and power and it really, you know, be in district heating. There are so many elements that LDES can be part of that we really need this broad open market space to have this competition. So then you can really see what comes to the forefront. What do you see as the most practical applications of LDES? Or like, are there any killer applications that you're really focused on that you think that's going to help us see the true promise of LDES? I think, again, it depends on the country where you are. Islands are looking at certain types of things to replace backup diesel generators. It might be a tiny island and they need a container. So what's going to work for them? And do they need something that's tied to desalination? You know, there, there's different types of, of products. Do they want to just have something that's going to work for 8 to 10 hours or maybe 24? Or do they need a different type of LDES that can provide that we need two weeks or we need that one week of certainty? And so that's a different type of LDES that we can give. And then there's, you know, a lot of the, whether it's pumped hydro thermal energy storage that can give the seasonality. They want to capture the sun in the summer and they want to use it for heat in the winter. So it, it depends on the location and kind of where you are. Again, promoting that diversity. So many groups already have existing assets. They might have a ton of offshore wind and they want to capture that. So what works right there at the at the edge, like, at, you know, where the interconnection is, what kind of geography or space it meets that. And again, the diversity of LDES can be above ground, below ground, um, you know, can, can really kind of fit in, in any type of puzzle piece. What do you see as the biggest challenges for grid scale deployment of LDES? I trust, you know, really understanding that, you know, there's not, as uh, as our friends in the MOU like to say, there's, um, you know, no utility wants to be the first utility. But so far, there's been a lot of utilities that have been the second or third utility out doing this. And again, we're really trying to demonstrate how LDES does help de-risk the transition. And these partnerships are so key. So in the, the modeling, the data sharing, and the planning that's happening, really kind of continue to keep LDES in long-term planning. Um, this is really starting to build those bridges to get more certainty with, with a lot of the utilities. So, we're, you know, in Australia, we're seeing a lot of work with, you know, there were specific LDES targets set out. And now that they're starting to be, you know, kind of negotiated and built, you know, again, sharing this data information with other countries is going to be important. We have the work with, you know, the mining industry. Not only does, does the mining industry have to decarbonize, but they're also doing their own you know, decarbonization internally of, of their infrastructure, and they're using LDES to help do this. So I think as we start to share these business cases more and more, as we've done in our reports, um, this will really help kind of really bridge the, the data gaps. If you were to look into the future, when do you expect a widespread adoption from utilities? I would love it tomorrow, but let's be realistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, realistic, I, I, think, um, I think we're at the inflection point. I think the tipping point comes in the next couple of years. Um, you know, I think we'll we'll have a gigawatt online. We'll be able to kind of look and test and feel it. You know, we have a lot more reports out there giving a lot more data points. So I think you know we we have to have it by the next couple of years because 2030 is around the corner, and we have to have you know hundreds of gigawatts online. So we have a huge uh, we have a huge valley to climb here. So what do you think is at stake if LDES isn't widely adopted by utilities and grid operators in the next few years? We are going to have massive curtailments. We're going to have more congestion. 
prices are going to raise, customers are going to be furious, um, we're going to have reliability concerns, and we um, could even have some security concerns because it's, you know, how are we going to really ha- work with this diverse portfolio? So it's it's an investment to really bring Eldez on today. And, you know, I, there's we're going to have growing generation of solar and wind. And if we keep building out solar and wind, which we must do, we have to have Eldez. It's just, I think we got to make sure that that piece is there. If we don't, um, we're not going to be able to guarantee 24-7 clean energy. We, uh, we call this show With Great Power, which is obviously a nod to the power industry. It's also a famous Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. What superpower do you bring to the energy transition? I say as, as a positive change maker, I think building on your coalition building, um, you know, really working with all these different groups to really incite excitement over change, um, knowing that there is there's fear, but at the same time that we can really empower and inspire difference and that we can really work on this together. So it's really, again, building that, those coalitions to value the diversity, to change the marketplace and change the world. Julie, well, thank you very much. I hope uh, our small podcast can play a role in uh, expanding the knowledge of Eldez. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Brad, so much. Appreciate it. Julia Souter is the CEO of the Long Duration Energy Storage Council. With Great Power is produced by GridX in partnership with PostScript Media. Delivering on the clean energy future is complex. GridX exists to simplify the journey. GridX is the enterprise rate platform that modern utilities rely on to usher in our clean energy future. We design and implement emerging rate structures, and we increase consumer investment in clean energy, all while managing the complex billing needs of a distributed grid. Our production team includes Aaron Hardick, Stephen Lacey, Dalvin Abawaji, and Camille Stennis from PostScript Media. The original theme song and mixing came from Sean Marquand. The GridX production team includes Jenny Barber and me, Brad Langley. If this show is providing value for you, and we really hope it is, please help us spread the word. You can rate or review us at Apple and Spotify, or you can share a link with a friend, colleague, or the energy nerd in your life. Thanks for listening. I'm Brad Langley.